0: So we're going to do something really different today. Um, And we're going to start off with the teaching time today. So we're reversing rules. If I had to summarize the content of my last two sermons in one sentence each, it would go like this. Week one, the earth is a temple, and you're a worshiper. The earth is a temple, you are a worshiper. Week two... Worship is incomplete unless it culminates in the presentation of your embodied life to God for his service. Your worship fails if it doesn't bring you to the point where you are presenting yourself, your body, your life to God. Now I want to expand on the first of those points. You're a worshiper. You were made to be a worshiper. And you cannot be you unless you worship. A screwdriver turns screws, a bottle opener opens bottles, a computer processes data, and a human worships. If you try to use a screwdriver to open a bottle, or a bottle opener to turn a screw, you might succeed, but life is not going to go right for you. If you go through life Without worshiping, or more precisely, worshiping the wrong object, life is not going to go well for you either. But what does it mean to worship? I want to spend, I've spent two Sundays preaching on this. I want to spend the next half hour or so teaching about it. I think it's a subject that's frequently misunderstood. Teaching, not preaching. If this is your first time with us, things are going to be a little different today. Usually, we worship first, and then I preach a sermon that exposits a passage of Scripture. Today, I'm not preaching. I'm going to teach, and then we're going to worship. And when we do, we're going to try to put into practice the things that we've just been learning. We're going to field test it. We're going to put it to use right before we leave. So I want to reiterate this is an important thing to learn because your wholeness, your you depends upon you being a worshiper. Let me say, set the stage by sharing five assumptions that I hold concerning worship. I think these form a foundation for a biblical understanding of worship. And the first one I've alluded to already, without real, joyful, heartfelt worship. No Christian can live the beautiful life that God intends. The Christian life is a worshiping life. If yours is not, it is less than Christian. You live in a temple. Did you forget? I mean, it's easy to forget because of the desecration that's been done to it, to this world. But you live in a temple. And you are a worshiper. That's why... People worship even when they don't worship God. It's our nature to become worshipers. If we won't worship God, we'll worship something else. We'll worship money, or we'll worship fashion, or we'll worship youth, or we'll worship beauty, but we'll worship something. Second assumption. Christian worship expresses to God the admiration that we feel and the submission that we intend through appropriate means. Those means, we'll talk about that in a few moments, those means are not an end in themselves. They are a response to God's revelation of himself in terms of our admiration and our submission. And they're a response generated by his Holy Spirit. Worship can't happen apart from God's Spirit in a way that's acceptable to God. If you don't have the Spirit, because you have never received the Savior, God's Son, Jesus, then your worship of God will be practically and profoundly limited. And that leads to the next of those fundamental assumptions. Here's the third one. In a worship gathering, like this, the worshiper... You and me. The worshiper is provided with means. Things like songs, hymns, prayers, confessions, declarations, offerings, and so forth. You are presented with means by which you can express admiration and submission to God. Those means lose their value if they are misemployed. The songs, the hymns, the prayers, the confessions, the declarations, the offerings. Let me give you an example. If you come here to use those things seeking a spiritual high, I just want to feel better. I want to have goosebumps down the back of my neck. Then you are misemploying those means and worship will not occur. Uh, If puffing the preacher's ego is what all of those means are about, then they're misemployed. If showing off the musician's skill or impressing other people with your spirituality is the end towards which you use those means, they fail. And they will not be worship. Number four of these assumptions that I think undergird a biblical understanding of, of worship. Worship is not Instruction or explanation directed to the worshiper. But worship is the expression of admiration and submission directed to God from the worshiper. You don't gather with the church to have a worship experience. Years ago, the Hosanna Music folks, and I loved their music, there's lots of great music, but I hated the way they promoted it. They, on all their promotions, they would have something that said, experience the presence of God. You don't come here to have an experience. You come here to worship Almighty God with his people. Worship is from you to God, not from the platform to you. And in our consumerist culture, that is really a hard lesson to learn. And, and that brings us to the next of those five assumptions. Worship involves performance, but it's not an entertainment. I hear people occasionally say, the worship at that church is just a performance. I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, just. I do see something wrong with just a performance. But worship does involve performance. And we ought to give the best performance we can. The musicians and singers perform, but they don't entertain. Further, they are not the only, nor are they the most important performers in the worship service. See, here's the wrong idea. The wrong idea is the worship team performs and the congregation looks on, and when you hold that wrong idea, you sit there and say, "Oh, that was a good worship." Su- oh, that wasn't a good worship service. I give it like a five. I don't know. I'm not giving it a ten. That's for sure. It wasn't a good worship service. That's the wrong idea. The right idea is the worship team leads and supports the congregation's performance, while God looks on. We're the performers. They're our band. They're leading us in our performance. See, the question is not whether you and I were pleased with the worship team's performance. Not in the last analysis. The question is whether or not God was pleased with our performance. And for what it's worth, God really is pleased when we connect to him by faith in our worship. When I was in college, we had chapel, and uh, there was a guy who was a friend of mine, actually lived on my floor in the dorm, who had the worst singing voice you have ever heard. I mean, he was just horrible. We called him, his, his nickname was Grover. Grover could never hit pitch, ever, but he sang more loudly than anyone. And so you could be like four rows down. And with your eyes closed and you could pick out where Grover was. He was just horrible. And you know what? I think God said, I love that guy. Because he was worshiping from his heart and giving his admiration to God and offering him his submission. Okay, now with these assumptions in place, what can we learn? And I want to suggest a few things. I think we have things to learn and then things to practice. We're going to put them into practice today. If it's true that without real, joyful, heartfelt worship, you can't live the beautiful life that God intends for you, that you can't be you, then number one, you'd better learn how to worship. Or more importantly, you better learn how to become a worshiper. Worshippers, as Dan reminds me from time to time, worship. If you're not a worshiper, it's hard to come in here and just worship. You need to become a worshiper. So many years ago now, probably closing on 20 years, Dan and I went to a, a worship conference in Chicago area. And we drove into this huge parking lot, and this church that looked like a shopping mall. And we walked through the doors, and it still looked like a shopping mall. Maybe it was a shopping mall before they turned it into a church. And we found the auditorium, and we went and sat down with hundreds, maybe thousands of people at this worship conference. Uh, Some famous people were going to be there, famous songwriters and that kind of thing. And... We sat in this auditorium, and it was just a buzz with people talking. If you've ever been here for second service, it's like that, only it was bigger. People just talk, 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 talk. They're all talking, you know. And, and then the band starts to come out on the platform. They're still all talking. And then the choir comes out on the platform. There's a huge choir. And they all come out, and they step on the risers And then the worship leader comes out on the platform. They're all talking, talking, and he takes the microphone. He says one word, and the place was electrified. We didn't know it, but we had gone to a Pentecostal worship conference. And it was a different kind of experience. I mean, I was seated on the end of a row, or Dan, I can't remember, but we were on the end of a row, and soon as the worship leader said something and the band struck up the music people started dancing and there's a woman dancing right next to me in the aisle and the usher tried to go up because it's theater seating tries to go up and the woman danced over in front of him and then he went like this and she danced over in front of him there and so he just took her and moved her on that side and walked on like he'd done it you know a thousand times so we're in this setting where everything is different you know what I did I said, I'm going to use this to worship. I didn't know any of the songs. But worshipers worship. They intend to worship. When you come here, it's important that you intend to worship. I, I wrote out several years ago a prayer. The life I most want for myself. I wrote it to God. The life I most want for myself. And I listed five things. This is the fourth thing. I want to live in continual wonder and worship recognizing you throughout the day, praising you at the drop of a pin. That's who I want to be. Is that who you want to be? It doesn't just happen. You need to decide and tell God, that's the person I want to be, the person you made me to be. I want to be a worshiper. Don't put it off. Don't think that you'll drift into it. You must choose it. All right, let me give you another thing. When worshipers like us come together in the name of Jesus, in the power of his spirit to worship, they build something. Or at least you can think of it that way. I want you to think of it that way. They build an altar. Every week when we worship, I attempt to build a spiritual altar. And when it's built, I offer my embodied life to God. Offer your bodies... As living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. If worship ends before that offering is made, it miscarries. I don't care how spiritual you felt about it. So when you come to worship, picture yourself as building an altar, preparing to offer yourself and you're building it with all those things, those hymns and songs that we use. Listen to some verses from Genesis. I found this fascinating many years ago. It's like wherever Abraham went when he came to the promised land, he built an altar. This is Genesis twelve seven. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar. There to the Lord who had appeared appeared to him uh, Genesis 12:8. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and AI on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on his name, Genesis 13:4, and he returned to the place where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord, Genesis 13:18. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Marmrah at Hebron, where he built an altar. To the Lord, And you know what? That goes on. Wherever Abram goes, he builds an altar. But it wasn't just Abram. He taught his son to live that way too, to live as a worshiper. So Genesis 26-25, Isaac built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. And there he pitched his tent. He lived in the place of worship. And Isaac taught his son Jacob who, Genesis thirty three twenty 20, set up an altar and called it El Elyeh Israel. Mighty is the God of Israel. The worshiper builds an altar and then he offers his sacrifice. Now, since our great high priest offered himself once for all, the sacrifice we offer is no longer an animal like they did in Old Testament times. We offer ourselves, our embodied lives to God. Now, What do we build the altar with? In biblical times, it was either of dirt or stones. And if stones, always undressed stones. Talk about that in a few moments. They took the stones that were available to them. Undressed stones are stones that have not been cut and shaped to make a beautiful thing. These are just stones that are there lying around. And they put them together in such a way as to build an altar. We don't build altars out of stone, but out of things like calls to worship, prayers, hymns, songs, scripture declarations, biblical responses, offerings, and all the other components of a worship service. Our worship team gives us, say, a prayer, and we lay it next to a hymn or a chorus, which lies next to a scripture declaration and next to an offering. And then comes a sermon that exalts God, and with the help of the people around us, And the people up on the stage, we put all those things together to build an altar week after week. And we offer our bodies, holy and pleasing to God, as a living sacrifice. To do that, to build that altar, you need to learn to use the things available to you from the worship service. And that means you need to be intentional about it. Use the hymns and choruses. Now, maybe you say, I don't like hymns. I don't like hymns. This is not about your entertainment. This is temple business, and you're a worshiper. Today, we're going to sing praise to the Lord the Almighty. That's one of the great old hymns. Praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. As with most hymns, when we do that, sing it for God. Sing the hymn for him. He's the audience, remember. We're the performers. So sing it for him, to honor him, to please him. And after that, we're going to sing some choruses. We're going to sing, glory to God forever. And you alone can rescue. And as with most choruses, sing those to God. Sing the hymns for him. He's in the audience. He is the audience. You're singing for him. Sing the choruses to him. Say, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Sing that to him. Your singing is a response to God. Try to use all the components of the worship service. Now, that may not be easy for you. It's not easy for me. But try to use all the components of the worship service in order to communicate to God your admiration for him and your submission to him. Respond to the call to worship. Say amen to the prayer. Offer the hymn or chorus to God. Be active in worship. A passive worshiper is a contradiction in terms. See, worship doesn't just happen. You do it. You intend to do it. You come together with other people for that reason. Use the offering. The offering might be the most neglected aspect of worship. And in some churches, it really is a collection. We need to keep the lights on, better give money. Um, It ought to be another way of saying to God, you are worthy, I admire you so much. If you're going to put something in the offering plate, and you know what, we never make a big deal about that. If you don't, that's fine. But even if you don't, you need to be prepared to say, Father God, I'm giving you myself. And if you're putting something in the plate, you're saying, Lord, I could have used this for something else, but I'm sacrificing it to you because you are worthy. And you know what? It's just a token. It's a down payment. It's an earnest. Uh, it's earnest money. It means that I'm giving you myself this week for your service. Use the elements of the worship service to build that altar. Sometimes, frankly, people say, well, I like dressed stones. In other words, I only want my favorites, my favorite psalms, my favorite songs, sermons on my favorite subjects. You know what? Those people are probably not worshipers. They're taste testers. They're after an aesthetic experience. Worshipers set about using what's there, what they're given, to build an altar so that they can offer themselves to God. Show that picture. I took that picture while I was in Israel. That picture was taken up in Dan, which is in the very north of Israel. When the kingdom was divided, an altar was set up there. That's an altar. Notice the stones. They're not dressed stones. They were used to present an offering to God. Or in this case, perhaps to the wrong God. We don't always get our favorite songs or scriptures, or prayers, or hymns. We need to learn to take what we're given and then use it. Use what's given you. Now understand, our desire is to give you the best things we can. And, and we're working on how to give you things that are most usable to you to build that altar to worship God. But in the last analysis, it's not how nice the altar is that we build every Sunday. What matters is whether or not you offer yourself on it. The Israelites, they did all the worship things. In fact, they were better at it than we are. And they had a lot of components, too. Those components changed over time and place. But they had a lot of components in worship, and they used them all. Listen to what God said about their worship. He said, I can't bear it. can't stand it. I can't bear your evil assemblies. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my face from you. God doesn't want, because he knows it's impossible. He doesn't want people to separate their lives from their worship. He only wants your songs and offerings and prayers when they come as a package deal. That is, when they include you. He wants you. Let me give you one last thing. You can get better and better at this. You can get so good that you can walk out those doors without ever ceasing to be a worshiper. You can worship at the drop of a pin. Jesus said, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father, not at this mountain. Not in Jerusalem, but the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. There are a few places in scripture where we're told that God is looking for something. And here's one of them. He's looking for worshipers. Thinking about that verse, Joseph Garlington said, the Father is looking for worshipers. So if you're looking for God and you just can't seem to find him, then stop what you're doing and worship him. And he'll find you. Let's worship him now. God help us, by your grace, by your spirit, to build that altar of the songs and hymns and prayers, and then to say that you're worthy by giving ourselves to you which we do in the good name of Jesus.